The fuck? Nothing's on. Do it, Maestra. Let's kick some booty. This is a journey into sound. Totally,
Morning, Brett. Rip and Shred. You're listening to the Casey Ferguson Show. I've never heard that before. Oh, yeah. Makes a real robust and savory stew. Yes, it's Casey Ferguson here, the leisure suit Larry of the podcast world. Rocking and rolling, strutting and strolling, ramming and jamming with you once again with another edition of the only podcast that stays crunchy, even in milk. In fact, I would go so far as to say that if the Casey Ferguson Show were a breakfast cereal... It'd be Captain Crunch. Quit polishing your apple. This is episode 45 of this show and my first of 2019. So thank you for joining me as I strike fear into another year with this year program, which, if I have anything to say about it, will be even louder than the last. Hi, excuse me. Uh, we're playing over on the courts there, and the music is kind of getting in the way of our concentration. Uh, any chance of getting it turned down? No. Yeah, I was just wondering because I really don't see why you can't enjoy your rock music at a slightly lower volume. Alright, thanks a bunch. Have a real nice day, okay? From the album Don't Want to Dance, that was Sweden's own browsing collection kicking off the show, the track is called One Time a Year. A song I'm pretty sure was written about how often my roommate and confidant, Doug the Slug McFly, takes a bath. What's up, Doug? I was talking about you, not to you. Stinky bastard. As you probably read in the description, I've got some killer guests lined up for you, and we're after shaking ruckus on the way from postseason, Big Sugar and Real Big Fish, among others. Plus another track from the Casey Ferguson Show Acoustic Session with Brian Andreas at Second Floor Sound Factory and more of my coverage from the 6th Annual Kingston Rib Fest and Craft Beer Show. I hope you're ready to go, because it's time to rock the show. This is Discrepancies on the Casey Ferguson Show. Show 
boots, tasses, and emptying glasses. You were listening to the Casey Ferguson Show. Hey, listen, I can fix you up for their best friend, Debbie Hawkhauser, who also bites. <laughs> no thanks. That was postseason. Another day, another shroot buck. Horror section in there as well with 42 seconds of greatness called I Wait For You. And at the top of the set was Discrepancies. Rock the show. Oh, before I forget, Happy New Year to all you rapscallions. Hope 2019 is treating you well thus far. Must say, the year started off a little strangely for me. I was at a New Year's Eve party at a friend's place in Gananoque, enjoying the beverages and the bullshit. We watched the ball drop, and everyone shakes hands and wishes each other a happy New Year. There's a bunch of people there I hadn't met before, but hey, what the fuck, happy fucking New Year, right? There were one or two couples in attendance, so they gave each other a smooch. Well, I'm single and ready to mingle, so I looked around the room. Snake eyes, no single girls. But there was a young mother who, I don't know, by my guess... Could have been anywhere from 16 to, say, 20. She's standing there with her baby. So I said jokingly, Well, I guess there's no one for me to kiss. How about your baby? She gave me a look like I just finger-blasted her cat in the asshole. I mean, this chick was absolutely fucking disgusted by me. Pretty uppity for someone who just had a human being crawl out of their vagina. Just saying. Now you might be thinking, Well, Casey, can you blame her? Fuck you, goddamn right I can blame her. Shit, I might not be Brad Pitt, but I wasn't even the worst looking guy in the room. Or the drunkest. How some dude blows a load in you that causes a creature to grow in your belly that causes you nine months of hell followed by a lifetime of responsibility and you love him but me? No, I'm a fucking asshole. I don't think so, she says. Well, no shit, lady, I was fucking kidding. Do I look like a fucking politician to you? You know what? Fuck it. I'll campaign right now. I will kiss your baby. That's right, you heard me correctly. I will kiss your fucking baby. It's the Casey Ferguson Show Kiss Your Baby Sweepstakes. Email me, CaseyFergusonShow at Hotmail.com, or hit me up via the Facebook page at the Casey Ferguson Show. I will kiss your baby. I will kiss your baby, take a goddamn photo, take it up to Gananoque, have it delivered to her high-strung highness with an inscription that will say, this could have been your baby. Yep, that's what I'll do. That'll show her. So send me a message, and maybe I'll kiss your baby. Unless it's ugly. Then you can kiss it. <laughs> Back to the music. This is Real Big Fish on the Casey Ferguson Show. Well, it was such an awkward night. It was such an awkward night. Well, I felt like a fool tongue-tied and tipsy too, but you thought I was Mr. Right. What a wonderful awkward night. Guess you liked what you saw And you look cool drinking beer from a pink straw I took a breath through the hole in my chest Where my heart had disappeared It was love and it was weird It was such an awkward night It was such an awkward night Well, I felt like a fool tongue-tied and tipsy too But you thought I was Mr. Right What a wonderful awkward night Hey! Too. I won't forget you And the past will pass just for two I flip my lid right over you Cause it was such an awkward night It was such an awkward night Well I felt like a fool tongue-tied and tipsy too But you thought I was Mr. Right What a wonderful awkward Oh what an awkward, a wonderful awkward night 
hard rock Johnny Cash. He's Black Bart meets Mad Max. He's Captain Hook. A little bit of cowboy, a little bit of metal, a little bit of rock and roll. He would be the perfect description of like my dream dude for sure. You're listening to the Casey Ferguson Show. This is the Champion
wonder and bringing the thunder. You are listening to the Casey Ferguson Show. Sounds like a vegetable and looks like an animal. Nobody knows. From the album Calling All the Youth, that was Big Sugar with Natty Dread Rock. And before that, brand new music from Real Big Fish. The track is called Tongue Tied and Tipsy Too. If you are a Big Sugar fan and haven't done so already, be sure to check out my recent interview with lead vocalist and guitarist Gordy Johnson. You'll find that interview and plenty more at CaseyFergusonShow.com. Speaking of interviews, my first guest on this episode of the Casey Ferguson Show is Ryan Roxy. Ryan has been playing guitar for Alice Cooper on and off since 1996. He's recorded several albums with Alice, as well as records with Slash's Snake Pit and Slash's former Guns N' Roses bandmate, Gilby Clark. Ryan recently released his first ever solo record, Imagine Your Reality. We'll discuss the new album, the posters that adorned his walls growing up, such as Robin Zander of Cheap Trick, who guests on the album, his experience on the Motley Crue Farewell Tour, and of course... That Alice Cooper guy. This is the first part of my conversation with Ryan Roxy on the Casey Ferguson Show. All right, this is Casey Ferguson, and you are listening to the Casey Ferguson Show. Guitarist of Alice Cooper and solo artist Ryan Roxy's on the phone. Roxy, welcome to the show, man. Thanks, thanks for having me on. Hey, man, I'm glad you're here. Uh, we we had a bit of trouble making it happen. You're on Stockholm, Sweden time, and I'm on Kingston, Ontario, Canada time. So we got it all sorted out. 2019, man, it's crazy to think 99 was 20 years ago now, and you've been with. Alice about that long. I, I mean, it's got to be blowing your mind. Yeah, over 20 years now at this point. And the bottom line is, though, Case, from Canada to Sweden, we made it happen. And that's what we try and do whenever I go on tour. I, we try and spread the rock and roll message as much as we can. And I guess the rock and roll messiah, if you will. And Alice and I have been touring with him since 96, actually. So it's been quite a while, but this last run since 2012, when I joined back up with him after I moved to Sweden, we've been consistently touring since 2012 every year, and we consistently tour Canada, and we can luckily consistently tour all over the world. Yeah, I saw that you're going to be coming to Toronto in July, yeah? Always looking forward to Toronto. Something about the crowds in Toronto, obviously, I don't even think they call it the Molson Arena anymore. I'm so old school that that I remember it as that, but I'm sure it's called something else right now. But we've played that venue a lot, and I'm not sure if we're playing it this time around or if we're doing the theater. It depends. That's that's one of the beauties of playing with Alice Cooper that I think not a lot of other bands get that sort of experience, is that we can go from playing a small theater to a large arena or even a stadium in one week. Yeah, I suppose it, it's got to be, you know, you, you're not necessarily having to switch the show up too much, I wouldn't think, but you got to change gears a little bit, I guess, right? I'll be honest with you. The show doesn't change whether we're playing in front of 1,000, 10,000, or 50,000. It really is a consistent rock show because Alice Cooper, he knows what people want, he knows what people expect out of him, and he's literally the ultimate showman. So we sort of take his lead and we always he always pushes us to uh, be the best performers as we can be and that is one of the best parts about playing with Alice is that he allows us and actually encourages us to perform as much as possible I know there's other bands out there and probably other rock icons out there that might be worried about their ego and and anybody sort of outshining them but Alice you know he never has to worry about that because for one he is one of the greatest frontmen of all time, and he really does encourage us to do our thing and entertain the folks. Well, it's nice to see that because, as you mentioned, you know, there's a lot of guys out there that, uh, you know, I mean, James Hetfield comes to mind with the whole Metallica situation, Jason Newstead there, 
back in the day, you know, didn't really want anybody doing anything outside of Metallica. But I've heard you say in the past, too, like, you know, I think the way Alice feels is that, you know, you doing as much as you can outside brings more people to the show. It brings something extra to what he's doing. You're not taking away from something, you're you're adding to it. Well, that's the whole thing about Alice Cooper and being in the Alice Cooper camp and the organization, especially with this lineup. I'll be honest, this is one of the busiest lineups that he's ever had as far as doing things outside of Alice Cooper. But we all know our priority is with Alice. And when that tour call comes, you know, we're all on the bus together. But during those off months and those off times and maybe even between, you know, short breaks on the tour throughout the year, he actually really does give us that sort of support to go out and put out our own albums and have our own career. But at the end of the day, you know, the priority is always Alice Cooper. Well, I'll come back to Alice, but I want to talk about your solo record, man. It's your first one, right? Absolutely. It's my first record being called Ryan Roxy. And I did that because I have been associated with a few other bands. I always, you know, people always ask me, well, who else have you played with besides Alice Cooper? And I say, well, I've been in about 100 bands, 98, you never heard of. So, uh, <laughs> I have, but I have played in other band names. I played with other artists as well. But yeah, Alice is sort of the name I wear proudly on my sleeve. And now I was able to put out a solo album just recently. And I'm just really excited about it because, you know, I kept with this mindset of making a guitar driven album. So a lot of people, in the past to listen to my music, whether it's Roxy 77, which incidentally did have my name in it, but the band Roxy 77 was more singer-songwriter oriented, maybe not as much focus on the guitar. But the production team that I worked with really made a big focus to make guitar the focal point and, you know, make sure that the vocals and, and the arrangements and all the songs were together because at the end of the day, you have to have a good song for people to hear you. But then... Within that song, I think we really did some really good guitar work, and the producers pushed me to play some of the best playing I've been able to be on in quite some time. Oh, man, me generation. I, I love those fucking harmony guitars. <laughs> well, that's my ode to Ace Frehley, I think. I, I love those old 70s Kiss albums, and it was something about you know doubling that solo and sort of making it just enough out of tune so it would be, uh, it would be greasy. But at the same time, it, it has that vibe. And so thanks for, for noticing that song and the spectrum of the songs that are within the album. It is a rock and roll album, but you can see there's some punk influence. There's some classic rock influence. There's some Beatles, as always, because I did grow up with the Beatles. And, and there's, you know, AM pop on there as well. So, I mean, obviously, when I say AM pop radio, that is a much different connotation than what is, is today today's am radio and today's pop music but when i grew up pop music was like earth wind and fire next to aerosmith next to abba next to cheap trick you know those were the types of bands that i was listening to so you so you'll definitely hear some pop influences in the new album always peppered with a lot of guitar well it certainly makes a lot of sense to me i mean i, I i've heard you say in the past before about the am radio and got a great way with a pop hook and to be honest with you you know, sort of back to the Alice Cooper thing, I thought something like Novocaine would have been a huge hit for you guys. Like, I, I, I think that's probably, what I dare say, one of my favorite Alice Cooper songs. Thank you very much. Uh, we actually did have a hit with that song in one city in one country. <laughs> it was Thess Thessaloniki, Greece. And I remember 
we actually toured the week that it became number one in Thessaloniki. So that was, you know, something to be proud of in that sense. But yeah, that, that has pop overtones into it as well. And, and a lot of people look at pop as, as, a, as a dirty word. I never have, never will. And so when I tell people that I'm influenced by pop rock, maybe they're thinking different types of bands, but I'm thinking hooks, strong harmonies, and always having some guitar in there. You know, one of my favorite Canadian bands, for instance, is Sloan. And, you know, not just the Canadian band, but just one of my favorite bands in general. And they have a great way of infiltrating Beatles and Cheap Trick with sort of that indie vibe. And that's sort of what I have done with I Imagine Your Reality with my own solo album. I've taken some of those songs that you'll hear on the album that, that have a little bit of an indie vibe, a little maybe an underground overtone, but I've always sort of relied on some sort of pop hook to sort of tie it all in together. Well, it's definitely a diverse album from what I've heard. I, I haven't got to hear the whole record, so I'll have to get you to shoot a copy over. But I've, I've listened to the singles that are online, and it's, it's very diverse. You're, you know, you're playing with a lot of different flavors, and, and I like that. You know, hey, I love an ACDC record. I love bands that do one thing and, and do it really well. I mean, there's diversity within that as well. But I like to see people stretching out and, you know, not doing the same thing all the time. And I, I certainly, from what I've heard, it sounds like you're doing that on this record. Yeah, the goal is for me to do a lyric video because I think in today's world, you know, I want to have people come back to the experience of listening to an album. That's why this record's on vinyl and, and on the vinyl we have liner notes and you can read along with it. But even if you don't have the vinyl, you don't have a CD that you can read along with, I wanted to make that experience real for people. So I've vowed sort of to release each song as its separate own lyric video so people can take in the lyrics, they can experience it visually as well. So that's my goal for the rest of this album. We've got six singles out so far and we have a few more to go, and hopefully I can get through the whole album with making a video for each song. Well, uh, hey, maybe you can get Robin Zander to show up. He, he guessed it on the album, right? <laughs> he already did show up, and he, and he killed it, man. We were, that's like sort of a, a dream come true for me to have one of your favorite singers, one of the guys you had a poster of you know, on your wall growing up actually guess vocal on a, uh, a track on your album I, it was appropriate because the song california man it's it's not even a cheap trick song they they, it, they covered it on heaven tonight and they covered it uh i think it was track three on heaven tonight so uh, it would be fitting that that i put it as track three on imagine your reality and it's a cool song by a band called the move who eventually became electric light orchestra but I asked Rama, I thought he would be the perfect guy, maybe not to sing the whole song, but just to help me out so people would know that influence was there. And they go, oh, yeah, this is sort of a cheat trick influence song. Like, yeah, no kidding. It was one of their songs that they played on <laughs> Heaven Tonight. So he, he was really gracious about it. And uh, when I heard the, the final mix of it, I was like, yeah, that's the perfect stamp on it. Yeah, one of those ones where you get goosebumps, right? Like, wow, did this just happen? Yeah, a little bit. There's been a couple of those situations in my life where it's been very surreal to have those guitar heroes and, and basically poster idols, I call them, the guys that you really looked up to growing up. You're hanging out with them. Maybe they're watching you. Maybe you're on tour with them. I've had a few of those moments, been lucky enough to have a few of those moments. In fact, <laughs> just a couple months ago, Rick Nielsen, we actually played Rockford, Illinois, and that's their hometown. 
town. And I was all excited because Rick was there. And, and we've gotten to know each other uh, pretty well over the last few years. But uh, it's still a little bit like a little bit of nervous energy when you play and you know he's watching right on the side. So, of course, when it came time for my, uh, you know, little showcase guitar solo where it's just me and <laughs> going up there. I see where this is going. Center stage. Yeah, you, you know what's going to happen. <laughs> you know, the, 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 the guitar completely clanks out. The, the wireless starts cutting in and out. The guitar basically just takes takes a shit and then I have to, you know, sort of <laughs> walk <laughs> off stage with my, you know, tail between my legs and get another one and, and I look over at Rick and he's just shrugging his shoulders going, yeah, this happened to me before. So, <laughs> and, and you know, everyone asked after the show, oh man, well, I'm so sorry you know, that that happened to you in front of Rick and I was like, well, you know what? Why wouldn't it happen in front of Rick? If it's going to happen in front of anybody, it might as well happen in front of Rick Nielsen because he's going to understand that, you know, he's maybe been in that position before, maybe maybe more than once. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But, yeah, of course, that'd have to be the moment. Yeah, well, you know what? He, he, he laughed about it. I laughed about it. And, I, I mean, that was one of those times where I, I think it could have freaked me out and, and ruined the rest of the show. But then I just had to, like, Right when I gave my tech the the guitar, I just had to laugh about it. After I screamed for a second, of course, but then I, I, I you know, after I had a mini meltdown for about ten seconds, then I, I just said, you know what, the show's always going to go on. And let's be honest, most of the audience that's watching the show don't know that my guitar idol is, is watching me do the show, and so that was just another just a little mishap. And, and to be honest with you, mishap. And those types of things happen almost nightly on our show because there's so many moving parts. So the good news is this band always covers for each other when something like that happens. When someone, you know, we have three guitars. So if someone breaks a string or someone knocks their guitar out or someone, you know, flips and falls and basically crashes our singer's teleprompter, which has happened before, trust me, <laughs> uh, you know, we all cover for each other and it's quite cool. And that's why this lineup is a pretty strong lineup for Alice. Well, here's what I would have done in that situation with Rick Nielsen. <laughs> and I, I've probably done something like this in the past just because I'm an asshole. I would, I would have walked up and said, yeah, follow that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. How about that? Yeah. <laughs> Good luck following that, son. <laughs> oh god yeah I, I couldn't even really yeah i couldn't even really smash the guitar because you wouldn't have heard anything it was uh, you know <laughs> would have made me noise <laughs> oh for crying out loud well i mean i do want to ask you about with alice because there is so much production involved as you mentioned there's a lot of moving parts what is the difference rehearsal wise for you in a situation like that as opposed to other bands that you've been in is there like a really long sort of production rehearsal time or how does that work surprisingly not you know we're, we're a pretty close-knit group at this point i think the sort of event that got this band be a cohesive unit and be able to play the songs backwards forwards in our sleep was the two-year world tour that we did with motley crew when we did that set we didn't change the set all that often during the whole tour but, you know we might have switched a few songs here and there but being that we had a shorter set, you had to play the hits. So those core songs of, of Alice Cooper that everyone knows, we played so many times that we know almost where we're going to be on stage at any given venue at any given time. So now 
when we go into rehearsals to do another show, we can switch things up a little bit, but we still have it in our backbone where we're supposed to be and where. You know, at the end of the day, you just really have to. When Alice has a sword or he has some sort of knife in his hand, you just have to be aware of that and just be out of line of fire because you know he he really doesn't. He really has a lot more trust in his own aim than I think we do <laughs> because because he's really good before the show at night throwing because that's how he warms up. He says most, most singers do you know vocal scales and and all that kind of stuff. Alice watches kung fu movies and throws knives. Nice. At, usually at usually at pictures of, of, of one of us or one of his band members. <laughs> and so the thing is, on stage, when he's got those knives in his hand, he's, he's throwing them at balloons, he's sort of throwing them into the wall that they have set up for him. He's really confident he's not going to miss. But what you know, we have to sort of factor into our thinking is, well, if he does miss, let's not be really close to where that miss could happen. Or if perhaps maybe one of those knives bounces off one of these big, huge balloons that he's throwing at, let's like make sure that we're aware of the rebound effect. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I, I remember as clear as day, we're, we're touring in Australia, and we had Bob Geldof, you know, Bob Geldof. He, yeah, absolutely huge, huge artist, and he comes up on stage and guest vocals on, on School's Out, and you know, we're thinking, this is great, but we didn't think it was so great when Alice gave Bob a couple of the knives that he's throwing during School's Out to pop these balloons, because Geldof, he didn't practice with the knives before, so he was <laughs> wielding the knives, one of them literally bounced off one of the balloons and went into the crowd, so luckily no one was hurt or impaled, but, you know, that would have been a whole different take on the Bob Geldof that we know if, if something would have <laughs> Yeah, Bob Geldof kills audience <laughs> member. <laughs> and organized live aid, don't forget. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, Sir Bob Geldof killed Sir... My, my bad, my bad. <laughs> I think they would have given a whole new name to Sir Lancelot. Indeed, sir. Well, uh, you, you mentioned the Motley Crue tour. What was the vibe like on that, Ryan? Uh, obviously, I know they were a big influence on you. Was it kind of a bittersweet yep. thing? I, I got to be honest with you, another another one of those bands that had a poster. At least I don't even know if I had the poster, but I had "Too Fast for Love" the album cover on my wall. I, you know, I had a whole wall of posters on my wall, and I guess above my door frame there wasn't enough room to put a poster, so I just put album covers. And one of those album covers I, I remember was uh, "Too Fast for Love." I think I still have the thumbtack in the album jacket to prove it but uh, to have that band come into our dressing room you know each member of the band they didn't really travel together each one had their own separate bus but for some reason our dressing room the, the band dressing room was sort of the communal place the safe I guess the safe house it was a safe room for everyone to come in. So any given night you'd see, you know, you'd have Tommy come in, say hello, and then Nikki would come in, and then, you know, Vince would come in and say hello. And, and even Mick Mars came in once in a while. He just appeared. I don't know if he actually came in the door. He just appeared a few nights and then disappeared. So, I mean, to have these guys as such influential people growing up, just to hear those songs every single night was a real treat for us. Part talk show, part rock show. You were listening to The Casey Ferguson Show. In first grade, choose to bite me. That was the first part of my conversation with Alice Cooper guitarist and solo artist, Ryan Roxy. 
To pick up a copy of Ryan's solo record, Imagine Your Reality, a complete list of tour dates, guitar lessons, and links to all of his socials, head to ryanroxy.com. Here's a track from Ryan's solo record. This is Me Generation on The Casey Ferguson Show. Ronnie Monroe Band and Metal Church. And you're listening to Casey Ferguson on the Casey Ferguson Show!
Cross, you have been searching for something. I know you have. You want something that will captivate and entertain you while you found the right place. This is the Casey Ferguson Show. Yeah. 
making your knees freeze and your liver quiver. You are listening to The Casey Ferguson Show. Is that what that smell is? I thought the milk was sour. <laughs> New music from Jakey Lee's Red Dragon Cartel there. Ink and Water, Stephen Piercy in there as well with You Only Live Twice. And kicking off that trifecta of tasty tunage was Ryan Roxy with Me Generation. Can I get a fucking amen? So I came across a news story the other day that... <laughs> Actually, I better rephrase that. I read a news story the other day that I thought I would share with you. The story comes from the Huffington Post about an incident that occurred last spring. The headline reads, Man masturbates while holding cucumber at library. Frederick Tennyson Davis, 49, is accused of committing, quote-unquote, an indecent act in a Toronto library while holding a cucumber in one hand and his own cucumber in the other. (laughs) He's a pocket fisherman. Police say the act occurred at Agincourt Library on April 7th, but Davis got away at the time. However, on May 31st, when Davis allegedly showed up again with another cucumber in tow... Someone at the library was quick to call the cops, according to a news release from the Toronto Police Service. Sun News asked Constable David Hopkins if Davis threatened anyone at the library, and Hopkins replied, I don't think he had any free hands to make any threat. Oh, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) You don't get it, do you? No. (laughs) Davis is charged with one indecent act count and two counts of failure to comply with probation, according to City News Toronto. What a sick fuck. Can't he just hold a turnip and jerk off at church like the rest of us? The nunnery's lost his humanity's game. On to more wholesome subject matter, here's some more of my coverage from the Kingston Rib Fest and Craft Beer Show. This is my conversation with Brett from Picton, Ontario's 555 Brewing Company on the Casey Ferguson Show. Beer, 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 bubble, beer, beer, beer. All right, this is Casey Ferguson from the Casey Ferguson Show. Rocking and rolling, strutting and strolling, ramming and jamming here at the Kingston Rib Fest and Craft Beer Show. I am joined by Brett from... 555 Brewing Company in Picton. Good old Picton, Ontario. The county. The county. That's right, man. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Kingston's backyard. You know it, mister. I used to play there all the time back in my musician days. What am I drinking here? Uh, You are drinking uh, the Jury, which is our American pale ale, brewed with local hops from Prince Edward County. I like the sounds of that already. I think I'll have to give it the day in court here. I'm giving the the jury the day in court. There we go. It's a joke, folks. It's a joke. That's quite a tasty beverage, my friend. Thanks, man. Quite quite enjoy it. So, how long you guys been going now? Uh, the brewery opened uh, March 2017, so we're just just over a year and a half old now. Uh, yeah, I think you guys were here last year, right? Yeah, last year. This is one of our first events uh, was last year's Rip Fest. Yeah, so we loved it. So we came back and uh, brought some new beers. So yeah, having fun already. Hey, there you go. Well, glad, glad you came back. And it looks like we got quite a nice crowd here. Yep, very good looking as well. <laughs> Not too shabby. Well, and then I'm here as well. But <laughs> anyhow, so you, you said you got some new brews. Uh, tell me about what you guys are working on. Uh, so we have a, a whole series of sour beers uh, called our Jail Cell Sour Series. Uh, so we've brought uh, number 16 with us today, which is a guava kettle sour. So we just released a couple days ago, and so we thought we'd bring it to Kingston Ribfest and release it to the public. Outstanding guava. Isn't that like cactus or something? Yeah, you got it, man. Yeah, it kind of gives a, a very nice, rounded, fruity flavor with the sourness. It just goes down too easy sometimes. And at 3.8%, you can uh, drink it all day and stay upright. It's fantastic. Well, I think I'm going to have to try that out then. I cannot say that I have had a cactus beer in my life, and I've done a lot of man things in my life, but I haven't done that one, so I think we're going to have to give it a go. Sweet. There's a pint waiting, man. Beer! 
How did you know? So, being that you're one of the brewers, what uh, what was the first liquid you wanted to make? I mean, you, and and how did you start? Because a lot of guys, you know, they, they buy like home brewing kits and and start with that. Where how how did it happen for you, man? Uh, well, kind of uh, luck of the draw, the stars aligned. I was a home brewer for many many years and really just showed up at the right place at the right time. Started working for for a brewery and kind of just forced my way into the brew house. Uh, the very good. Previous brewer before me left to go start his own thing, and I, I was kind of up next in, in line, and uh, that was oh, about six years ago now. So, uh, yeah, feel really, really lucky here. But uh, the first brew uh, that we did for 555, uh, we just got a new system about three months ago. Uh, so the first one we did was a, an amber ale, just a nice, easy-drinking beer that uh, kind of appeals to uh, the masses. So. There we go. Well, what was, like, the first homebrew you made? Oh, do you remember? Yeah, uh, I think it was an American brown ale. Uh, that, that was the first one, and then followed that was a was a heffa. There you go. Well, how, how did your first one turn out? Did it go okay? Uh, total garbage, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's usually how it goes, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, you, you gotta, you have to make mistakes, man. And, and you like you're, and at the same time, I do think you're only as good as your last beer, right? So you though. Beer is water, hops, barley, uh, and yeast. Those are the four ingredients. So if you think about every beer you ever had, it's those four things and how many different beers you've had. So it's, it's such a good chance to be creative. But I, I do think that there's a secret fifth ingredient, and it is uh, humility and humbleness. So if your beer tastes like garbage, just admit it. Uh, <laughs> that, there's nothing wrong with that. So Absolutely. Well, I don't know. I, I, I think making beer is probably a lot like the blues, man, you know? Simple form, but... There's a lot you can do within that form. hundred uh, percent. And at the end of the day, we're making beer. It's uh, we're all having fun. You know, can't take it too seriously. We're not saving lives. I don't know if the audience could hear that. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, I know. So what in the? I, yeah, there's a degassing going on here. I I was going to take credit for it. I have no idea what the hell that is. That. So be it. So be it. It's a beer fest. There's going to be a bunch of things that I don't understand tonight, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, and it's early still. So <laughs> yeah, 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 give give me a couple hours. We'll we'll there there will be plenty of things that I don't get by the end of this night, I'm sure. So, where do we find you online? Uh 555beer.com uh, .com 555beer.com uh, or Facebook as well. Instagram, all those fun social media things that people do these days. See, I try the Instagram, but I'm not much for the pictures and the like. I don't know. I've, I got a face for radio, know what I'm saying? That's right. I actually don't have social media, so I don't know. Find us, uh, or Main Street Picton. Come come see us there. Outstanding, mister. Well, thanks very much for your time. Yeah, cheers, man. Thank you. Part talk show, part rock show. You were listening to the Casey Ferguson Show. Shut the fuck up. That was my conversation with Brett from Picton, Ontario's 555 Brewing Company at the 5th Annual Kingston Rib Fest and Craft Beer Show. You can find 555 Brewing, once again, at 555beer.com. When I think of beer, my soul dances a little, so let's tear up the tiles. This is UN Jefferson with Testify on the Casey Ferguson Show.
need to catch my breath Cause all the things you do, baby It makes me want to testify Something's coming over me Casey Ferguson Show? You can download all episodes of the show at CaseyFergusonShow.com. Plus, bonus content, prize giveaways, polls, and much more. Only at CaseyFergusonShow.com. One more time for the heart of hearing. That's CaseyFergusonShow.com. It's not the trouble that I'm on. I've been gone too many years to notice the time Still, a reputation will present itself Sometimes White lightning on the countertop Spilling over to the floor Watching you wake Oh, on the very same spot Where I swear I must have died a thousand times before Where have you been? While I've been running, running, running Where have you been? While I've been trying the same door again and again Who wins? Oh, if I learn to let go Will I ever feel human again? Who wins? And where will I go? It's not the trouble that I'm on But I spent so much energy on stalking that fire Even after all these years I kind of hoped I would get something for my time There's always gonna be a piece of you that stays Memories might fade But the scars you left will never really go away Tell me where have you been While I've been running, running, running Where have you been? 
Pleasure beyond measure. You were listening to the Casey Ferguson Show. Right. And uh, I brought this just in case. What are you, crazy? It's a brassiere closed by hooks. So? Hooks are hard to open. Did you ever take out a girl with hooks? Well, uh, no, all my girls had uh, buttons. Buttons? Your music from Sandra Bosa there. That was Where Have You Been? And before that was UN Jefferson with Testify. Well, well, Cats has promised to have another track for you from the Casey Ferguson Show Acoustic Session with Brian Andreas. Now, in case you didn't hear the last episode of this show, Brian made the trip all the way from Hamilton to record the session at Second Floor Sound Factory in Gananoque this past October. So once again, I thank him for making the trip and engineer producer Dan Sullivan for his hospitality and hard work. This time, Brian is performing one of his own songs, which you should be able to buy soon. Brian recently told me his album's almost done, so keep an eye out for that. I'm going to crack a Red Fox Hill, courtesy of McKinnon Brothers Brewing, the official beer of the Casey Ferguson Show. So grab your drink of choice and join me. I think you're going to love this song. This is Brian Andreas from his Casey Ferguson Show acoustic session at Second Floor Sound Factory. The song is called Kept. Are you lonely? Or is he with you? Sleep this on my pillow If I only knew Are you kept tonight? Do you know for sure? Is there something less? Or something more? It's not for me to Sober sweat and electric touch, and I can't be saved. So come dance with me. Oh, around the truth, is there something bad or something good? It's not for me to say, but I don't think you know that I'm. 
from his Casey Ferguson show acoustic session at Second Floor Sound Factory. The song, once again, is called Kept. Now, I suggested he call the song Bury the Snatchet, but as far as I know, the original title remains. My offer still stands, Brian. Six pack of craft brew and a box of pizza bagels. I'll be your executive producer of titles. Just think about it. Get back to me. Well, this piece is called uh, Lick My Love Pump. You can check out more of Brian's music at andreasband.com or on YouTube under Andreas Band. You can also keep up via Facebook at Music Andreas. My final guest on this episode of the Casey Ferguson Show is legendary producer Michael Beinhorn. Michael has produced everyone from Soundgarden and Red Hot Chili Peppers to Aerosmith, Ozzy Osbourne, Hole, Marilyn Manson, Soul Asylum, and Social Distortion. He is also the author of Unlocking Creativity, a producer's guide to making music and art. This is the second part of our interview. If you missed the first part, you'll find it on episode 42 of this show, which is available for free download at CaseyFergusonShow.com. Get it? Got it? Good. So here it is, the second and final part of my conversation with legendary producer Michael Beinhorn on the Casey Ferguson Show. Now, uh, something that happened on this Celebrity Skin Sessions uh, that sort of ties in with, with Soundgarden, I guess Billy Corgan was showing Courtney Love some Sinatra, you know, as to, like, phrasing and, and key changes and, and things like that. And uh, I guess you did the same thing with Chris Cornell, right, before he recorded Black Hole Sun. Did Courtney show Courtney Sinatra? Apparently, that's what I read anyway. Whether it's true or not, I have no idea. <laughs> I never heard that. <laughs> yeah, well, it's just kind of hard to imagine, but Billy Corgan oh. sitting around listening to Sinatra records with uh, Courtney Love. I gotta be honest with you, I, I'm pretty sure that I was playing her Sinatra stuff. Well, I kind of got I, thinking I about that, because I'm like, well, if he did it with Chris, then, you know, it was probably him, and she just, for some reason, <laughs> didn't remember um, who showed her, but... No, I think I think that would have been me, and the reason for that is that even if you don't like his music, it's hard to deny his ability to phrase and things like that, and I'm not really into his happy stuff, like, but the, the very the, the miserable records he did, like, in the wee small hours of the morning, and only the lonely, I, I listened to those songs, and I learned a little bit about the fact story to them and at least from the standpoint like the performance standpoint and I was kind of like this is amazing this is 
pure gold for people who want to sing because I was hearing that I, there's a tendency that a lot of people have, especially when they do rock music, to kind of like do phrases in very metrically precise and very similar grouping, like da 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 da. There's no playing with the phrasing. Like, are you familiar with Flying the Family Stone? Yep. You know the song If You Want Me to Stay? Yeah, it's a great track. Yeah. Now, if you think of the vocal melody on that, Imagine if he's saying, if you want me to stay, I'll be around today to be available for you to be. I'm about to, you just kind of sing it like that. One of the main things that makes that song work is his vocal performance, because that's what, that's, that vocal performance is outstanding. And he's all over the place. Like, he's really playing with the phrasing. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people don't do this, especially not now. They treat the vocal as if it's another instrument in the song. And to me, that's not what a vocal should be doing. A vocal has to be telling the story, you know, so the vocal has to play with the phrasing. Sometimes it's got to go outside the grid a little bit to get the point across better. And this is one reason why I started playing stuff like, I think I probably would have been playing um, Only the Lonely, because some of the vocal phrasing in that is just insane. And where he's taking breaths how he was actually using, he was emulating trombone phrasing to get some of those phrases, which is crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, who thinks of stuff like this? But um, he'd been in a band where the where the band leader was a trombonist, and he just paid attention to how the trombone phrased. And you can hear it in some of his slides, some of the, some, where he slides from note to note, how it sounds like the way a trombonist would do it. I wanted to show this to a lot of the vocalists I work with, not to say you need to imitate this, but to say this is an example of someone who is playing with the phrasing. You can go outside the grid a little bit with what you do. Who better to learn phrasing from than the chairman, you know? I mean, <laughs> god dang. And and now that I've found that out, I hear it with that phrasing and the, and the melody and, and Black Hole Sun. It's like, it makes perfect fucking sense. Well, obviously Chris didn't need to go out on a limb with those vocal phrasings, but when you listen to how he sits in the track and how he, how, there's very subtle manipulation of some of the words and some of the phrases, you could, you really, if you pay attention to that, just that aspect of the track when you're listening to it, you can see how that very subtly adds another layer of emotional resonance to it. It really helps the song connect even more. I remember when I heard that vocal, I mean, obviously it had to be comped, and we had to call that comp from about eight different tracks, but when I heard, like, the basis of the vocal, I was like, oh my god, this is absolutely outstanding. Well, it's almost like, uh, I, I, I watched an interview with you not too long ago, and you were talking about John Bonham, and you, you were listening to isolated tracks from Led Zeppelin too, like Whole Lot of Love and stuff like that, and just being kind of behind the beat, and just how he interacts with the other instruments going on around him, and, and you just saying that how much that blew your mind, like very much a similar thing, right? <laughs> like he, you know, he's just play, playing with cadence and and things like that. That uh, yeah, like like you said, a lot of people just they're they're looking too much for that pop hit that they forget to play and really continue to create after something has been written, right? Well, we have an unhealthy obsession with the grid, (laughs) you know, (laughs) with a kind of metric precision, which isn't really naturally found in human beings. It's found in machines, which, by the way, I have no problem with whatsoever. I mean, I think machines are great. I think making music with machines is fantastic, as long as there's a balance of other elements. You know, as long as there are other universes of people making music, you know, in the way that they want to make them, that's just as, that's just as 
readily available to people. When you have music that's being performed by musicians who really know what the hell they're doing, it takes you to a different place. It's very human. Actually, what's interesting is that a lot of people now have heard for so long music that has been done with a grid. When they hear music that isn't gridded, they react to it in a very unpleasant way. (laughs) 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 It's really interesting. I've encountered this. I've begun to encounter it a lot actually, where people go, like, there's something, something's wrong. And they can't put their finger on it. <laughs> but it's because they've, they've heard music recorded, or, well, edited anyway, for so long that has that characteristic to it, where the, where the performance has been completely removed from. And um, it's very difficult for them to relate to it as something that's satisfying to them in the way that popular music normally would be. It's a whole new phenomenon that's starting to take shape. Yeah, it's kind of, but, you know, it's not, something's not going wrong, something's going right. <laughs> you know? Well, but it, but it just goes to show you what they've grown up with and what they're familiar with, you know, and, and what you can also convince a person is right. You know, how you can convince a person that something that's unnatural is actually reality. <laughs> <laughs> Which is kind of, a, it, it's interesting because it's sort of a, that's sort of a commentary on the times we live in. Oh, definitely. I mean, the, it goes hand in hand. And uh, I mean, I, I definitely want to get to the work you're doing now. So sort of going back to the Soundgarden thing, you know, you heard Black Hole Sun and it hits you like a bolt of lightning. But I would imagine, I mean, there, there's way more songs that don't and they have to be fleshed out in, in pre-production and whatnot. So, I mean, you're you're offering some services to assist with things like that. And musicians yeah. need this. It's, it's so hard to afford this stuff. Tell me about what you're doing now, because I think there's going to be a lot of people listening that would be very much interested in uh, taking you up on your services well you know i think you sort of touched on it like one of the most important aspects of any modern recording is going to be pre-production and it's interesting because it's one element that has been almost entirely stripped away from most recordings especially for people who don't have very large budgets to work because pre-production is is very time intensive like it takes a long time to be able to assemble the right songs for your recording to be able to make sure that the arrangements are right to make sure that everyone's performing them properly it's just it's a lot of work i think a lot of people who produce records now are sort of shying away from doing it as well because it cuts into their time i mean if you're a guy who is depending on us to get paid a specific amount of money to do a record and you know and, and get out of there in time so that you know so that you're able to pay your bills and whatnot, if you're getting, you know, a relatively small amount of money to produce someone's record and you have to work on it for like four or five or six months or something, that's going to kill you. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) pretty much. Yeah, it really doesn't add up. And since most records, especially if you're talking about music that's made in, you know, the rock genre are, you know, don't have very large budgets to start with, that's pretty much what you're looking at. So if you're a producer, you're basically going to devote all your efforts with the band spending time in the studio. And you know how to set up, do a setup real fast. You know how to record an artist quickly. And you can be in and out of a project in about a week and a half to three weeks. You know, so uh, fiscally that kind of adds up. But it doesn't leave the band in any better shape. They might have a better setting record than they would have had otherwise. But their songs aren't structured properly. You know, there might be elements that have been terribly overlooked that shouldn't have been. And essentially, as an artist in that position, you really haven't wound up with much of anything. The whole point here is to give people access to something that they should have but aren't able to have. Now, my experience has been that this can all be done very easily. (laughs) You know, 
which is part of what makes it so so fantastic. You know, you can do this stuff if you're working with people remotely and really, but really going through their music with a fine tooth comb. What's interesting about this process too is the fact that once you've actually put an artist on the path of being more aware of what's missing, what's not working in his music, all of a sudden he looks at it and goes, holy crap. Then he reassesses everything from a completely different perspective. And all of a sudden, you've ramped up completely what this person is capable of doing. You've given, you've basically given them something that they never, ever would have gotten otherwise. And all of a sudden, they could be looking at doing some of the best work that they've ever done in their entire lives. I mean, I've seen this happen many times in circumstances where I actually had a budget and where we had the luxury of time. But I'm also seeing it happen now with artists who don't have that budget. And the fact that once they realize, oh wow, the world actually is not waiting for my next record, so I actually could spend a little bit of time preparing it properly before I go into record it, and maybe the preparation process is just as important, perhaps not more important, than the actual recording process itself. So that's essentially what I'm offering, you know, the opportunity to be able to completely work on arrangements, to work on song structure, to work on the song selection, to basically develop the entire character of a person's recording before they do it. And to me, that is absolutely invaluable. There's, you can't even put a price on it. Of course, you have to. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is that. <laughs> there, there is that, but it has to be affordable because, you know, people don't have large budgets and, you know, they still have to think about, well, how am I going to record this thing, you know, once all this fantastic work has been done to the, to the music. So, it's, you know, it's done reasonably and it's very exciting. It's fun to watch people go through these creative changes. It was really interesting, actually. One of the artists that I was working with made this comment to me, which I think I've repeated now in various forms many times to people, but it really rang very true. He said to me, before we started working together, the only way that he knew that a recording he'd done was good or not was after it was finished. I mean, think about that for a second. The only way that you know your songs are good, the only way that you know what's happening in your songs is once the record is completed. Not before it's been recorded, but once it's been completed. And I think a lot of artists are in the same boat, and they shouldn't be. There's no reason in the world for that to happen. But that's another reason why I'm making this available. Well, I mean, you're offering people quite a gift there. I think people would be crazy not to take you up on it. So how do people get in touch with you about this? Um, through my website, michaelbeinhorn.com, and there's a services tab on the website, and there's a description of everything. You know, for more information, there's also a contact form and you can ask, you know, deeper in-depth questions like, what does this entail exactly? How does it work? You know, this is my project. You know, what what would the cost be? It's all, it's all pretty reasonable. Outstanding. Well, like I said, I think people would be crazy not to take you up on your offer. And uh, I want to touch on your book quickly and I'll uh, I'll get off the, the horn with you so you can get back to uh, dealing with the little one there. <laughs> Oh, there you go. Well, you're all right then. But nonetheless, I I suppose, you know, I shouldn't take up all your time. But I did want to touch on the book. Uh, You know, you you spent time writing this thing. And I know how long a process it can be because I'm trying to write one myself. So tell me about your book, man. Uh, Well, it's called Unlocking Creativity. And uh, that's pretty much what what it's about. I mean, this came from me thinking about like all the protocols that I kind of incorporated into making a recording. I, I just wanted to have them sort of documented someplace, you know, like, how do I do this? And then it's, it, how do I do that? And, and it's kind of unfolded into, into really, I guess, more esoteric stuff, like 
<laughs> you know, how do you like, how do you get, how do you deal with people who look like they're probably not going to make it through the recording and may need to, you know, may need to get replaced, which <laughs> as I'm sure you know, is something I have a little experience. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> but, but, it, but it extrapolates from there. Like working with artists is such a delicate thing. The psyche of the, of an artist is so, I mean, it can be very, it's very resilient, but there's all, but it's also very fragile. And I find that a lot of people treat this process as if it's a job. They went to like a vocational school for kind of like changing out carburetors or something. <laughs> you know, like, okay, I'm doing, you know, I'm doing this for, you know, for this many weeks and I'm done and, you know, I'm getting paid this and okay, we're going in, we're going to cut drums these two days and then we're going to do the, you know, it's like, what are the bands doing? What is this record about? Who are these people? What are the particulars that you're dealing with? Do you or do you not want to help these people make the best record that they can make? From my perspective, I might be a little old school, but to me, if you're going to produce a record, you're in there and you're trying to help these people find out where they're going. You're not just kind of like setting up some microphones and saying, okay, there's your snare drum sound. Like you get an engineer to do that. You don't need a producer to do that. Mm-hmm. You're basically wasting your, you're wasting your time. That's not what a producer does. A producer is there for direction. An engineer can get you sounds and tell you, there's your snare drum sound. Okay, you guys are ready. Let's track one. People get paid serious money to do this. And I really wanted to underscore that point. And I really wanted, I wanted to shine some light on it. And I also wanted to talk a little bit about the creative process and, and make it something that people actually, that they consider when they're going in to do a recording. That it's not just about nuts and bolts. It's not just about doing a job. It's about a great deal more. And that we, as producers, as engineers, we're artists also, you know. There's a reason, or at least there was, there, in the past, there was a reason why you would hire this guy instead of that guy to produce your record, you know, because he was known for getting a particular type of sound, because his records had a certain kind of vibe to them. It wasn't because he was really fast on Pro Tools. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, again, this is an engineering skill. No one was hiring Rick Rubin because he was good with Pro Tools. <laughs> well, yeah, there wasn't even a Pro Tools then, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you see what I'm saying? No, oh, totally, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a vibe to this stuff. You know, there's a feeling to it. When people are being creative, they're locking into something else. It's really about, it's about two things. It's about communication and it's about expression. One is just the need for people to express themselves and the other is the desire to communicate with others, you know? So there's two different elements happening there. If you have something where people are communicating well and expressing themselves well, you have something that's going to speak to people very plaintively. And when people are spoken to that way, they tend to connect. And then you've done your job. Whether what you've done sells a whole lot of copies or gets a lot of streams or whatever, that's a whole different story. It almost doesn't even matter, you know? But for music to work properly, it has to have those components. And I, and I can tell you that music that doesn't have those components in it, even if it's successful and is popular, it goes away real fast. <laughs> <laughs> well, there's a big difference between a hit and a classic, right? Oh, I've never heard that before. <laughs> yes. Uh, I don't know if that was spur of the moment, but you're absolutely right. That is 100% true. Well, I probably heard it somewhere, Michael, but I'll, I'll take credit for it. <laughs> take, take the credit. Why not, eh? Why not, exactly. You know, I, I, I just feel that these things need to be touched upon and they need to be they need to be discussed. And people who are in the reporting community need to be aware of it. 
Absolutely. Well, and all I can try to do on this show is, you know, provide a forum to do so. So I, I very much thank you for taking the time and being so generous with your time and hanging out here on the Casey Ferguson Show. My pleasure. Thank you. I hope that uh, you'll come back down the road. It'd be my pleasure. Thank you so much. You've been a very gracious host. Oh, thanks very much. You have a great rest of your day. Say hi to that little one and the wife, and uh, I will talk to you down the road, my friend. Absolutely. Look forward to it. Have a good one yourself. All right. Cheers, man. You too. Bye now. Bye. Part talk show, part rock show. You were listening to the Casey Ferguson Show. Yes, kids do do the darndest things. Can I go now? That was the second and final part of my conversation with renowned producer Michael Beinhorn. To pick up a copy of Michael's book, Unlocking Creativity, A Producer's Guide to Making Music and Art, or for more info on his consulting services, hit michaelbeinhorn.com. Time to get back to the music. This next song comes from Machine Man Records' new promo sampler, Till Death Do Us Part, Volume 1. You can download this track along with 21 others as part of said sampler. Just head over to their store at machinemanrecords.com. Oh yeah, did I mention it's free? Yeah. You're welcome. You you don't have to be so fucking snarky. This is Krebs, Blood and Stone on the Casey Ferguson Show. Yeah. 
Welcome to the Manly Minute, I'm Dan Manly. Peter the Great executed his wife's lover, then forced her to keep her lover's head in a jar of alcohol in her bedroom. Well, if that ain't love, what is? The Manly Minute might not be a full minute, but it's close enough to satisfy me. Hot to handle and too cold to hold. You were listening to the Casey Ferguson Show. Yes. Do you want a hug? Fuck off.
from Brooklyn, New York. That was Paris Monster, Andre Lucia, and before that was Krebs with a song called Blood and Stone. Well, Scallywags, I had planned on answering some of your questions that you sent in for Ask Casey, but I think I'll have to do it on the next episode. The fucking snow plows are out in force here, and every time I try to turn on my microphone, the goddamn plow starts banging away and fucks up my motherfucking flow, yo. So, fuck it. Cousin Mary, how cold is it outside? It is currently colder than an Eskimo's taint. Mary, I'm not sure Eskimo's a proper term anymore. Well, Casey, if it means that much to you, then you can flavor your next meal with your salty tears. Okay, then. Hey, looking good, Doug. That toque looks quite becoming on you. I dare say those mittens on a string really complete the ensemble. Tay, where are you going, anyway? Snow angel? (laughs) Look more like a fucking crop circle. Well, Doug's got a snow angel to make, and I've got crying to do, so we'll bid you farewell. Thank you to my guests, Michael Beinhorn and Ryan Roxy. Thank you to the bands and the reps for sending me some killer tracks to spin. Thank you to all of my sponsors, and of course, thank you for listening. Moira Bren will play us out with a track called Wish. Remember, reason is not automatic. Those who deny it cannot be conquered by it. Until next time, this is Casey Ferguson and Doug McFly, over and out. Close my eyes I take a breath And then I make my wish I wait and wait and It didn't come true I wished for you But you never came I the one to play The party ends The people leaving I'm still sitting here Why am I still here? It didn't come true The wish was you Never came. Am I the one to blame? Take a breath and I make my wish. I wait and wait and it didn't come true. The wish was you, but you never came. I the I the one to play. I the.